Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast, where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about March Madness with former All-American and starting center of Carolina's 1993 national championship team, Eric Montross, who is now a commentator for UNC basketball. For a sports fan, tournament season is definitely one of the best times of the year. Everybody is tuned in to college basketball for a solid month. What do you think makes the NCAA tournament so special that everybody gets this excited for it? There are so many aspects to March that make it an exciting time. I think that it starts with the conference championships, the league championships, all of the discussion about NCAA seedings and pairings, and then you get to relive history. And you get to think about 25 years ago, and you get to think about 10 years ago, and you get to think about your favorite teams and how they made their mark in March. And and that really elicits the great emotion out of all of our fans. But I think it's also the opportunity that presents itself for teams to rise to the occasion and to play at the pinnacle that they are possible of playing to and to watching teamwork. Because I think everybody can cheer for a team and they can find a favorite player. And then the unknown, which is that you never know what unknown player is going to make a name for themselves and be heralded in the NCAA tournaments to come. So let's go back a little bit and talk about the tournament from the perspective of a player. You know, it's getting harder and harder for me to do. (laughs) It's further and further in the past. All right. (laughs) You got to unlock the vault. You got to go through door A and then the key to door B so we'll, we'll get there together. I think we can do that. So as a player, when it gets to this time of the year, does your excitement rev up just like everybody else's? Certainly. Um, this is what you play for. You, you have mileposts or goals that you set from the beginning of October. You know, For us, it was October 15th. And October 15th, you get yourself right and you set goals for the season. Um, and you have Midnight Madness, and then you go through the process of your preseason, and you look and you try and start hitting these small goals along the way. But ultimately, you're always pointed towards April. And you know we were very fortunate here at Carolina to be in a position to have that as a very realistic goal. But I remember very plainly and clearly uh, being in a locker room in the fall of 1992, and Coach Smith was talking to us as the team, and it was us and the assistant coaches and Coach Smith and our man, uh, team managers, and we were assigning our goals for the season. And our goal was to be in New Orleans, and that was something that we felt like was attainable. The pretty unique and interesting piece to this is that the next day we came into the locker room, and Coach Smith had 8 by 10 pictures in all of our lockers, pasted into the mirrors that said University of North Carolina NCAA champions 1993. And we were looking at it projected onto the inside of the New Orleans Superdome scoreboard. Granted, now look, that was 1992. That was the fall of 92. So there was, you know, we had just barely eclipsed the computer age. Okay. There were no cell phones were like still tin cans with a string. So Photoshop was a long way from being around. So still to this day, Coach Smith showed his savvy by being able to pull something off like that. But that was something that sat in our lockers and really was that constant reminder for us as a team that we were after something bigger. 
and that was that kept us focused. It was a great it, looking back. It was a powerful form of imagery. You mentioned that it's a mindset that you kind of get yourself into back in October, and you pretty much prepare for the tournament all year long. But your first time actually stepping on that court for the NCAA tournament was that a surreal moment for you? You know, I think that. As a player, well, first of all, I'd like to tell you, yes, absolutely, there was that moment. But I also think that the little bit of a downer from an answer standpoint is that as a player, you know, Coach Smith had done everything he could to keep things as workmanlike and normal as possible. So in his mind, there was, you really didn't want to change your preparation, your course of preparation, or how you approach the game um, mentally, physically. And so our goal was to make it just like the day before and just like the day before that as far as how we went about preparing for our opponents. And so although we certainly knew that you know, the, the media attention was 10 times or more from what it had been, we were still very focused on just the game and not the meaning of the game. So you prepare for March all season long. But as a player, is there really a way to get ready for the experience of the tournament? No, and I think that's what makes it so amazing. And it's the same reason why you get fired up just like I get fired up for the NCAA tournament. And it's why all of our students here at Carolina get so fired up because um, it's the unknown. And it's the fact that you can have, you know, you can you can make it as big as you want to make it. And there's nobody to hold it back. And so... Um, I think that's from the spectator standpoint and from the player standpoint. Um, and that's what makes it have the potential to be incredibly special. You had a really successful career here at Carolina, making it to the Final Four twice, and then went on to play in the NBA for several years. But looking back on your basketball career, where does winning the national championship in 93 rank? Well, to, to play uh, in the national championship game and to win has to rest right at the top. I mean, there there have been a lot of great moments, team moments of celebration, but none with a higher level of elation than that one. That was, uh, you think about, and I'm not trying to get too, too philosophical here, but I, you know, you put in so much effort and, and it's really like that trek up a side of a mountain. I mean, you just keep going, keep going and hope that someday you're going to get to the top and plant the flag, right? And and for us to stand in the middle of the Superdome on the court and celebrate with our fans and our families and our teammates, uh, it was just a great sense of achievement. And I think that um, whether you're in sports or whatever your passion is. When you hit a, a level of achievement, something that you've been working so hard for for quite a long time, it is that real sense of pure joy. And that was, uh, it's a feeling if I was sitting here getting goosebumps or, or if, since we're in the South, we have to call them chill bumps. But, you know, uh, that, that's, you, know, you think about that and it takes you right back and that those emotions don't, don't erode. And now you're still on the court, but you're a little farther away from the action as a commentator. You can just go ahead and go ahead and call a spade a spade here. It's just, just call me old. It's fine. I'm not going to, you know, dinosaur artifact. We'll, we'll go with retired. <laughs> Wait a minute. You took it to a whole nother level. Retired basketball player. Okay. All right. But let's talk about the new phase in your basketball career. And that's being a commentator for UNC basketball. Was this always a move that you wanted to make? Did you always want to work as an analyst after your playing days ended? No. 
it, it was never something that I was aiming to try to do. Um, I'll, I have to be honest with you. It was, it, it just kind of fell in my lap. You know, I think there are a lot of people and I talk to young people now about kind of charting their course and their professional ranks and what do they want to do and be thinking about the future. And then I think, well, look, man, you didn't do any of that. <laughs> and you just kind of fell into these two different, two different categories. And one of them for me has been the broadcasting side. The, I was back here after retiring um, in 2000, the winter of 2003. And I remember going to the season in 0405 and I was going down at halftime and giving a little recap and Woody Durham and Mick Mixon and Jones Angel. And we were giving a recap of the first half and looking forward to the second half. And I did that even through some of the regionals and into the final four. And then afterwards, Mick went down to the Panthers where he had uh, the opportunity to become play-by-play. And that was something that for him, uh, the NFL play-by-play was a dream come true. And so just by sheer dumb luck and happenstance, I get the call that said, you know, do you want to come take his position? And here we are going on. We're almost through our 11th season. Let's hope it doesn't stop anytime uh, too soon. Was it a hard move for you to go from a player to an analyst, or was it something that came pretty naturally? You know, it's it's very different looking at it from being on the court where your actions can change the course of a game. Of course, we can't change the course of a game. We simply can describe it and try to elicit the emotion that we see through the players and how that can impact our listeners. But the other thing that sounds so obvious, but it took me a little while to, to figure out how best to convey it, and still to this day, there's plenty of room for improvement, but to try and convey the image, to create the image in the listener's mind. And that's still a challenge, and I think that that's a lot of fun. Jones and I have a lot of fun together. Um, Adam Lucas joins us. Um, we've got you know a great, great group of folks that put together what we think is a broadcast that's worth listening to, and we have a lot of fun with it. But it's very different but still fun. It keeps me close to a game that I love, keeps me close to a program and school that I love. I enjoy being a part of the representation of this place. As far as having to learn the ropes as you go, you definitely had a pretty solid group to learn from. Yeah, no, it doesn't get, doesn't get much better. Let's go to the, straight to the Hall of Fame with Woody, right? I mean, you know, I remember, I remember the first couple, uh, maybe in the first year, I could tell that I had maybe not had a, a great broadcast, but Woody was quick to to really empower me and to teach me and to help me figure out ways to not step on him when he was speaking, but also to make sure that I did get my point across and to, you know, my kids tell me now, I said, dad, you talk way too much. And so I had to condense things a little bit. So I was trying to get to the point and, uh, but I would try and give, you know, from the, from the, end line to end line. And I just needed to cover about 15 feet of that space in my answers. And so it's been a, it's been a lot of fun learning, learning opportunity for sure, but a great deal of fun. As somebody who was part of this university as a student athlete, is it special for you to come back to Carolina and be part of this university in this program again? Yeah, you know, for me, I think that it's the program has given me so much. I grew up in Indiana, came down here, played for Coach Smith. You know, it, it was that storybook experience. There was the teams. We were we were really good. And along the way, personal success came. But as much as anything, this university, I felt 100% at home. The people around this university, the people of this state, you know, everywhere we went, 
you know, seven feet is hard to disguise. So seven feet is recognizable. But I mean, from the mountains to the coast and the sand hills, and you know, there was there Tar Heel fans everywhere. And we just, you know, and, and I even saw in the NBA, we'd go to New York, or we'd be out in Minnesota, or we'd be in Portland, Oregon, or we'd be in Los Angeles, or Dallas, Texas, or New Orleans, it didn't matter where we were playing. There were always Carolina fans. And so this place has been really good to me. And so it's been fun to be able to be a conduit to give other people fun knowing more about Carolina basketball. All right, let's go back to talking about the tournament a little bit, and let's focus on this year's team. Carolina will tip off on Friday as the number one seed in the South region. How do you see this bracket playing out for Carolina? Well, you know, I think it's kind of like preseason rankings. Everybody's got their idea of how how things are going to go in the brackets. And, and then inevitably, there's spoilers. And that's part of what we talked about initially. I mean, how much fun is it to have spoilers throughout the NCAA tournament? You just hope that you're not. When you're a number one seed, you hope that you're not on the news, breaking news end of those. But, you know, I, I've, I've really thought this year that Carolina is good enough when they play at a very high level. And it doesn't always have to be their best. When they're, the, when they're at their best, like many teams, if a team plays at their very best, their Final Four caliber team, I think this team has shown that they can take some lumps. They can lose a Kenny Williams. They can play without a Theo Pinson early in the season. They can play without Isaiah Hicks on occasion with foul trouble. And they can still perform very well and beat some darn good teams. But there is no question that their level of consistency will have to be unblemished in this tournament run. And that's going to be from the guards all the way through to the big men. We're going to have to continue to see really good performances controlling turnovers from Joel Berry, from Nate Britt. Seventh Woods, when he comes in, needs to be very controlled. Justin Jackson to kind of rekindle the spirit of the, the of the player that won the ACC Player of the Year. And I think that it's there. And I have, I have every expectation that we will see that out of him. But, you know, we've seen glimpses of greatness from Isaiah Hicks, where it's just superstar caliber play. And then we see games where he really struggles to maintain a court presence because of the fouls and we have to have his presence to be as good as we can be and then you know Kennedy Meeks and I've said many times that there are times where I've been a critic of his and and I hope a constructive fashion I've never tried to dog anybody but I also need to give him a ton of credit because right now he is as important a piece in this wheel as we have and so I think that when we play very well we're awfully tough to beat. What are you most looking forward to seeing in this tournament? Well, I think the, the thing that I'll look forward to the most is that we've got such a broad fan base. We've got a great student body. I mean, the fans this year have been fabulous, uh, as good as any year that I've covered them. And so I think that having the energy that they've provided carried through with this team and for, them, for this team to go in, I mean, they, they have the potential to be dominant in some areas. They're rebounding, sometimes the offensive firepower that they display. I'm looking forward to the potential that this team has. And if we can tap it and hack into it, then we're going to ride it for a long way and have a lot of fun along the way. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said or subscribe on iTunes or Android.